The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. We are live, or so it says. And this is not Jeff Erickson live. Jeff is returning from Ireland on a wonderful trip he had with his family. I've been asked to pinch hit on the Thursday Industry Podcast and decided who else from the industry should I ask to talk a few minutes to, to our good friend Brian Walton from uh, the Cardinal Nation, helps me out with creative sports. Brian and I don't get to talk a lot, and when we do, it's usually because there's somebody in one of our leagues that we have an issue to, to deal with. So it's nice to talk to Brian on a more informal basis for a change. How you doing, That's, my friend? Yeah, it's good to be here, Todd. <laughs> and, you know, it's uh, there's a level of comfortability when you're, you know, dealing with someone that you've known for a couple of decades now and uh, have been through the ups and downs and ins and outs. And uh, that's the way I feel with you, Todd. So uh, it's a, it's a pleasure to be on here. I would have, I would have come, even if I was busy, I would have changed my schedule because uh, I, I owe you, uh, I owe you a lot for what ah, you've done for me over the it's, years. It's mutual, my friend. Actually, I didn't even realize this until just now. You say you're busy. You're not headed this way for the weekend, are you? No, actually, I just got back from the Midwest. Um, I actually uh, spent uh, the night before last in O'Hare Airport, which was uh, not oh, a great no. way to spend a night. I uh, I spent it in a wheelchair that I found to sleep in. But that's a different story for a different day. Uh, Ooh, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, the reason I asked, I think folks probably realize Brian's a big St. Louis Cardinals fan. And the Cardinals are heading to Fenway Park this weekend. And uh, I had a decision whether I was going to go up there and work, um, you know, or – but what I decided was uh, it was an easy decision. My oldest son, who lives in uh, Southern Mass, uh, said, how about I take you to the game on Father's Day? And I said, OK, so I'm going to go sit in the fan, sit in the sands and watch the Cardinals Red Sox this weekend as a, as a fan. Gonna enjoy okay, so, you, so you are coming up over the weekend. I will. Yes, I will. I will OK, yeah. Yeah. excellent. Yeah. Unfortunately, I uh, I worked on the weekends. So I, uh, even if I wanted to go and because it's such a great series to watch, I, I couldn't. But anyway. I have, a, I have a series of stock stories that I tell uh, <laughs> that illustrate different things. And the one about you when you were uh, driving Uber during the playoffs uh, okay. for the Red Sox is one of my go-to stories. Yeah, how I pretty much got let go from the company because I refused to change. You're supposed to what? You're supposed to let the – it was actually Lyft. Let's be let's – Oh, all right, Lyft. About, Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah let's, 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 let's not disparage <laughs> Uber. Yeah, but right. yeah, the only job I was ever no, no, I was fired for one one other job, but that's beside the point. Yeah, no, I uh, you're supposed to let the cons- the customer choose the station, but the Sox were playing Detroit in the playoffs in 2013, and no, 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 we weren't changing the channel, and I got <laughs> a low rating, and um, my my overall rating fell below what was needed to stay, so I was asked. They didn't fire me; they just said 
don't bother showing up for any more assignments. So yeah, yeah, that's like uh, when I worked in the corporate world, we never fired anybody. We just had resource actions. It somehow Actually, makes somehow makes you feel better that you're you're let go as a result of an action versus a firing. Actually, you know what? The other time I was air quote fired was with Biogen. It was in a contract. It was a temp, you know, a temporary position. And they too just said, um, we renew this every three weeks. We're just not going to renew it. So yeah, and, every, you, and you felt so much better that way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and that actually was the impetus for me getting into the industry full time. But you don't do this well, you do this full time now, uh, Cardinals Nation, but tell the folks a little bit, because we have a mutual friend who uh, brought you into the industry. How did uh, you know how long ago and when did you break in and what was that all about? Yeah, I um like a lot of people began playing fantasy baseball back in the in the 90s and I I discovered fantasy sports as a way to uh compete on even ground with my brother-in-law who's 5 <laughs> years younger than me and 4 inches taller and outweighs me and basically anything athletic he would just regularly wipe me, you know, wipe the floor with me. Uh, but I found that fantasy sports was a way that I could compete with him and, and succeed. And so I kind of liked it. And then I got involved in the or some of the early uh, the games where uh, I was playing basketball and high, all kinds of things, you know, making a little money here and there. And I, like everybody, would then go to the fledgling Internet to try to gather information about what's going on. And I was I was going to a particular site and getting fan, some fantasy information that I really didn't agree with. So I wrote the proprietor and told him that I thought he was full of shit politely and why can I say, can I say that on here? Yeah. Yeah. Let's used to do this. You're all good. Okay, good. Good. Um, so, uh, he said, okay, well fine. If you think you can do better, why don't you, why don't you write for us? So I did. And I started to write and, um, that led me to, uh, through a merger of sites to creative sports where I met Laura Michaels, who are our late partner, who of course, a fantasy sports writer hall of fame member and a, a, a legend, a true legend in our industry. And uh, I, like you did, Todd, uh, hit it off very well with Lar, uh, personally and professionally. He gave me lots of opportunity to uh, begin to write about fantasy on a more regular basis. Um, then through the site, uh, there's a writer who is still with Creative Sports Today, like I am, Mark Meltzer, who focuses primarily on football. Uh, Mark Meltzer happens to live in the Jupiter, Florida area, which is where the St. Louis Cardinals and the Marlins have their spring training base. And just as coincidence would have it, one of Mark Meltzer's neighbors was the Cardinals media relations director. And this is, of course, pre 9-11 and, you know, everything else. And, you know, I managed to kind of get in through the back door and and realize that, hey, you know, being a semi-legitimate member of the news media was kind of fun. And I had followed the Cardinals uh, since I was a child. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, which is most people know is the home of the College World Series. But it's it was also Cardinals country because at that point in time, the A's had moved away. The Royals didn't exist. So the Cardinals were the team in the Midwest uh, that everybody from Arkansas to, to Iowa followed. Um, Bob Gibson was from there, from Omaha, my hometown as well. So I'd always followed the Cardinals. And I so I sort of merged this writing about fantasy sports and interest in the Cardinals to writing about the Cardinals as well. And I found that writing about a major league team is interesting and all, but there's a lot of competition. Uh, the local newspaper, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, has multiple writers and columnists covering the team. Of course, now The Athletic has beat writers. MLB.com has beat writers. So there's no way to really differentiate your product. 
and, and make any money. So for me, I found out pretty quickly that the minor leagues were the way to, uh, were the niche that I could use to have a successful business. And we at the Cardinal Nation follow the system. We have reporters in every minor league affiliate town, because of course I can't be everywhere all the time. And we cover the Cardinals players from cradle to grave, all 243 of them in the system, not just the major leaguers. So, and it's a, it's news information primarily, certainly there's some commentary as well, but it's a, it's a fun you know, job. I, I spent 30 years in the corporate world as well and retired from that. So what I do now is write about baseball full-time and go to games and watch them on TV and the internet. And it's a pretty good life. I enjoy it. No, absolutely. Now yeah, let the folks know the URL, the URL for the site. You've got some subscription content as well. Yeah, it's called The Cardinal Nation. And if you don't use the the at the beginning, you'll get to a site that sells cheap T-shirts. So you don't want to go there. So thecardinalnation.com. And you'll see some amount of free content and some amount of fee content. And uh, for the same price that we've had since 2005, you can subscribe annually and uh, get access to everything that we provide. Uh, we break down every transaction, every move. Uh, I do prospect rankings. I re-rank the top 50 prospects in the system every month. Uh, in fact, the article is probably going to go up tomorrow for June, and uh, just extensive. We have we have new we have new content, original content on the St. Louis Cardinals and their system, 365 days a year, no BS. Christmas, New Year's, my birthday, doesn't matter. There's new content up every morning. Now, when did when did I know I met Lar at the at a, at the first pitch Arizona? It was the uh, the November before Albert Proho's rookie season, because I remember Albert Proho's uh, debuting in the Arizona Fall League. You didn't, you didn't come that year, did you? I did not. No, I did I not. I, no. was, I came so, about a year or two after. Right. We, so that's when we would have met. But you had, was that the first time you met Lar? Was that first pitch? I mean, yes. Person? Yeah. yes. Yes, it was. And and that became yeah. a, a first pitch Arizona. And folks are probably familiar with that conference that occurs every October. Maybe it's November this year. Don't know. But um, uh, a wonderful uh, conference put, put on by the folks at Baseball HQ in collaboration with USA Today. Uh, multiple days of talk and, and uh, presentations, as well as going to Arizona Fall League games. So it's really a it's really an excellent event. And uh, you know, a lot of the industry people go and a lot of very, very uh, knowledgeable fans go. And we talk baseball and have a great time. And I always look forward to that time because I'm from uh, well, I was I told you I grew up in the Midwest. I live on the East Coast now. As as do you, Todd and Laura. Of course, uh, was is a West Coaster, so there weren't lots of opportunities to you know run into one another in the at the supermarket or the gas station or wherever it may be. So uh, those industry conferences were always uh, tremendous, not only for the for the uh, the baseball knowledge and stuff, but the camaraderie, the people that you meet, and the friendships that you really uh, can strengthen. So you, if you you weren't sure, the it's the first weekend of November, uh, and the schedule for AFL came out yesterday. And it's going. There's going to be the. We're going to see the the Fall Stars game again on Saturday, but on Friday there's a home run derby this year. Yeah, I saw that. Now they didn't come yeah. out with a detailed date, game schedule, did they? Did they? No, get- not that I'm aware. Because I'm selfishly hoping there's games on Friday afternoon, and then the home run derby at night. Yeah. Uh, so so Friday Friday November fourth at Sloan Park is a home run derby, and then yeah. Saturday November fifth is a Fall Stars game, and I imagine. I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine both will be televised on on MLB Network. At least I, I hope so. And both will be within walking distance from the the site hotel. Yeah, even better. We're back at the same, the same hotel. The other, I mean, well, just for the folks that are interested, there's a triple header at Chase Field this year for the AFL. I hope that gets some coverage. And they're extending the playoffs. Uh, I think there's a semifinal round, 
So this hopefully these are all vehicles, as Brian suggests, uh, to get the AFL a little bit more coverage, which would be really nice. But yeah, we get to go out and uh, and check out the fall and a home run derby. It's that, that should be fun. Not that there, there won't be any side bets in the stands. No, I'm uh, sure for the not. home run derby. No. No, it's all for entertainment value only, of course. Yeah, no. But, uh, but you know, one of the one of the good things that the that Major League Baseball did do with the Arizona Fall League traditionally, it had started in mid September, right after the minor, shortly after the minor league seasons ended, and now that the AAA schedule has been extended to basically coincide with the MLB schedule, because without the expanded rosters that they used to have in September, Major mm. League teams need to have AAA still playing, so they have guys to call up when there's injuries during the last month. So they keep AAA playing. So, you know, a lot of the guys that would have gone to the AFL are still active. So they decided, okay, we're going to wait and start the AFL at the beginning of October and play up until, the, you know, the week before Thanksgiving. I seem to have lost Brian. I don't know if the, if the feed itself has been lost, but I lost you there. Are you back? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. Uh, the screen uh, went blank there for a moment. All right. Well, you were, you were, you. Were, if it was, if it, I don't know if it was my end or yours. If it, you throw no, it on I'll, my end, so I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up where I was. So what sure. I was saying was this: this change that they made to start the Arizona Fall League at the beginning of October and then run it until the week before Thanksgiving makes a lot of sense, both for availability of players, but also for visibility of the Arizona Fall League, which has been sort of this unknown jewel. And I wouldn't say unknown, but relatively um, unpublicized jewel. And every year, the number of players who participate in the AFL who go on to make a difference in the major leagues is significant and pretty much every single year. And so, you know, it's a, it's really a, a good place to go to see a lot of prospects in a limited time in a combined, in a consolidated metropolitan area, in this case, the Phoenix area. No, absolutely. I try to get down a little bit before and or a little bit after so when you were taking the schedule, I've been waiting for it to come out because I need to know when I'm going to book my flights because I don't know if I'm staying before. Or exactly. After the and book it. Yeah. 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 It, you know, that sort of that sort of thing there. So much, much looking forward to it. So let's turn a little bit, a little bit to baseball for uh, for the next segment, if you will. Um, but before we do, let's get a quick note from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. 
It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back. Um, baseball the rest of the time. You mentioned, Brian, you're a, a Cardinals fan. You uh, Cardinals aficionado. Uh, we talked a little bit before. I wanted to make sure you saw it so I didn't hang out to dry. But that Nolan Gorman play was a Tuesday night. I didn't catch it live, so I didn't get my gut reaction, if you will. I read about it. But explain to the folks the situation in the game and then what, what rookie Nolan Gorman uh, did, if you will. Yeah, so the Cardinals, two outs with the bases loaded, and uh, I believe it was Paul Goldschmidt that was at the plate. Nolan Gorman was the runner at third base. Uh, the other runners, I can't – Edmundo Sosa was one, and then I can't remember who was in front of him. Gorman and, was at first, right? Yeah, Gorman was at first. I think Sosa yeah. was second, maybe Molina or somebody was at third. But anyway, it doesn't matter. So uh, Goldschmidt hit a, a weak uh, grounder on the, on the infield that came to the second baseman, and there was going to be what obviously would have been the third out of the inning was a force out at second base. And what normally happens in such a play is that the runner has to slow down, and so he slides. Well, in this case, the runner, Gorman, did not slow down and slide. He kept on running right through the bases if he was going to try to take third. This confused the second baseman who, instead of throwing to first base to get the easy out before Goldschmidt got to first, started to chase Gorman and got him in a rundown. Well, what that enabled to the runner, you know, the runner at third was then able to score before the third out was made in the inning. And actually the runner on second then tried to score. He was eventually thrown out. But the point is that by that heads up play, Gorman was able to extend the inning and enable the runner on third to score when normally if they if the second baseman can't get the runner sliding into second, you turn around and throw to first. But that didn't happen in this case. And immediately the the Cardinals, I was listening to the Cardinals telecast, uh, the Cardinals play by play broadcaster Dan McLaughlin before Gorman, you know, even got to thirds, you know, said, Hey, this is a play that they work on. So this was not a, a, a move that Gorman just made off the top of his head. This is a play that they taught them in a, in a particular case with runners in scoring position, two outs, you know, run through the base, don't slide. And, you know, Gorman got a lot of credit being a rookie, being able to do that. But frankly, He's just up from the minor league system, and they drill these plays into the minor leaguers wow. as well. And so, wow. you know, he he might have been fresher. It might have been fresher in right. his mind wow. to a Paul Goldschmidt who's been in the major leagues for ten years. Yeah, it's one of those things you got to think through. In that, if if they force him at second, the run doesn't count. But as soon as he's safe at second, it takes away all forces, and the runner at third scores regardless of what else happens. That run that run now counts. That's if right. this becomes a a routine play, the way to combat it is just throw it first. And and that's what, yeah. of course, in hindsight, he should have done. But for whatever reason, you know, it, it, the, the, the surprise of the fact that right. he kept running, you know, was enough to, to buy that time. 
And of course, people on Twitter, they can't just enjoy the play. They have to start arguing whether Gorman didn't even, did, if he, he, you know, if he had slid, he would have been safe anyway. And it would have been, you know, continue, you know, man, it was just a, you can't, you can't think that far through. Okay. I mean, you're going to take the sure run. Right. And that mm-hmm. to me, that was just, it reminded me of Bill Belichick coaching for certain scenarios, catching, catching a, a fielding, a, 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 a kickoff with one foot out of bounds means the ball comes out to the 40, you know, things like that, that are just coached. I think it's in the fact you, you, you tell us that it was uh, coached in the minor leagues. I think that's just, that's fantastic. I had no, I had no, I was more impressed that a rookie had the wherewithal to do it, you know, can, how, what's he been there less than a month with the big club. Yeah. And yet you do, but oh, wow, that's, that's a, uh, that's quite, that's quite a thing. I don't, I don't, who, who knows if it'll become a thing. Um, I do think, you know, you can argue that Goldschmidt would have been safe at first, that maybe the only play was second base. Well, and, and you know, yeah. Goldschmidt uh, and folks who play fantasy know, uh, you know, in his younger days, Paul Goldschmidt was a double-digit stolen base guy. Yeah, um, He still, I mean, he still has a very, very high success rate. He doesn't run as much as he used to as he's in his 30s. But, you know, he's very, you know, he's a very good baser. It wasn't like it was Yadier Molina ch- or Albert Pujols chugging down first. Right. But, but the point is, it was a smart play. And it's, you know, the Cardinals traditionally – uh, have been a good enough team that they don't draft in the first half of, of the of the draft. And they, through good teaching, good scouting, of course, but also good teaching, you know, bring guys up and they traditionally outperform, not everybody, but traditionally outperform the expectations that were put in place for them. I mean, you look at a Brendan Donovan, who's up right now, right. Uh, is, a, is a great example, you know, or Tommy Edmund, you know, nobody heard of Tommy Edmund three or four years ago. And now, you know, he's one of the, you know, he's one of the highest value players in the game with his combination of defense and steals and, and all the things he does. So the Cardinals do, you know, do a good job in player development and it shows in their consistent, you know, positive record over the years. Donovan looks to be a decent average hitter. Are we going to get any productions run uh, stolen bases, home runs from, uh, from Donovan? No, probably not. Probably not. I mean, he was a, he was, he was a 300 hitter in the minor league. So you know, I could knew he, I knew he could hit. I knew he could play multiple positions, um, but I didn't think he was going to be as good as he is, to tell you the truth. But he's a guy who, and you know, that's the cliches about the work ethic and all that. But when guys like Goldschmidt go out of their way to talk about being impressed with how a guy, a rookie, carries himself, that that has a lot of, of, of gravity with me, a lot of weight. And Brendan Donovan is getting rave reviews, not only for his play, but also. Uh, you know, how he goes about to squeeze every bit of, of effort out of him. I don't know that he's going to be a starter long-term, but he's a super sub kind of guy, much like Edmund was his first couple years uh, in the majors. And he he looks like he's going to be here to stay. And it looks like, I mean, I I, I think I, it was either Dunover or somebody else has, at least in five-game fantasy, he's eligible first, second, third, short in the outfield. Yeah, which, so, again, you know, those, those types of guys uh, who are good are, you know, few and far between. Right. I mean, he's kind of like a Stephen Kwan in that nice average, but not much else. However, being able to put him anywhere you want and improve your lineup in the other spots, you know, I think he's more valuable than Stephen Kwan on a fantasy basis. But you said, you you know, you have to be prepared because of the injuries that invariably hit. You can't, you can't predict them. Rosters are never big enough. You can have, uh, you know, have reserves at every position. So, you know, a guy like Brendan Donovan can buy you a lot and, and are often undervalued in drafts, by the way. Um, you know, that multi-position availability is not something that's really sexy on draft day, but over the long haul of a season, it really tends to pay off. Yeah, no, for sure. And one of the reasons Brendan Donovan's up is because Paul DeJong isn't. 
That's right. And, you know, Paul DeYoung is a guy who, DeYoung, when, he first, yeah. when he first came up, um, had a tremendous rookie year, showed a lot of power. He was a third baseman. He was drafted as a third baseman and, uh, you know, traditionally a power position. And so, you know, provided very, very good production, showed he could handle shortstop. He, you know, he's not a not an all-star defender. You won't forget make anybody forget about Ozzie Smith, but he's a competent defender at shortstop. And with a guy with power, you know, you, you'd say, hey, that's a pretty nice profile. But what's happened is every year – his performance has dropped to the point where this year he was just in the depths of, of despair and they really had no choice. He was, he was just, I don't know, 10 days or so short of five years of MLB service time, which is a, which is a major junction in terms yeah. of being able to send guys down and not being able to send them down. Right. So the Cardinals have a little bit of a decision. DeYoung has been, he's had a couple of good stretches in AAA where he's played well. He's had a couple of stretches where he hasn't played well. Ideally, they would want to bring him up and, and enhance his value before they try to trade him. They need pitching, so he would be a good candidate to trade for pitching. Now, the question is, you know, he's got a contract for another year that's a fairly high con- – not a not a terrible contract, but, you know, a contract that's more than his value right now. Do the Cardinals trade him for 50 cents on the dollar at AAA, or do they try to bring him up to major leagues and get 75 cents on the dollar? Don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's Paul DeYoung, so I don't know if it's a – it's maybe a small case L that I'll take on him. I, I thought he I, – I had him for a rebound, some of the underlying numbers. The, although I didn't I didn't know that we were going to use the ball that sprouts little parachutes on it. And he, <laughs> he, he needs – you know, he hits these these long – these fly balls that need all the help they can get, and he's not getting them. So I, I did not know that coming in. That's a shame. You mentioned the AFL. One of the – maybe you weren't surprised, but I think one of the surprises was Juan Yepes last year. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, in, I play in several uh, National League uh, formats, Scout Wars and, and Labor. And in both those drafts, I came in wanting to get Nolan Gorman because I knew Nolan Gorman was going to be up that far. And when Nolan Gorman's prices got up in the six, eight, you know, dollar range, I said, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to get him. So <laughs> I pick up Juan Yepes for a dollar. And, you know, I knew that his power potential, he was a guy, interestingly enough, Juan Yepes uh, from Venezuela came up in the Braves organization, got, was traded to the Cardinals in the, the first time they traded Matt Adams away, which was, I don't know, 2017, something like that. And he just like, yep, it's just language languished in the Cardinals minor league system really didn't do much, but something happened in that year off in 2020 where he got serious about weight training and his approach to the game and came back in 2021 and had just a tremendous season. He was a player of the year in the Cardinals system, just dominated at double a went to triple a dominated there then went to the Arizona fall league played there as well. And, and you know, Juan Yepes was a guy that I thought would make the team out of camp. He didn't, uh, he had a bad spring training. He didn't, he didn't perform well. Uh, but when he came up, he got a chance and has played well, but now the Cardinals have a roster challenge in that um, Corey Dickerson, who they signed in the off season is now starting his minor league rehab. And when Dickerson comes back, Yepes could be the odd man out because certainly they're not going to send down Brendan Donovan. So, uh, you know, it, but, but Yepes is a guy who, uh, he's not a he's not a fielder. He's a guy that that definitely benefited by the National League adopting the designated hitter. He's had to play some outfield, but uh, and he he's been a first baseman, a third baseman, but he's really in his best position is, is frankly his DH. Now, how many pitchers are the Cardinals carrying? Because the, they're cutting down pitchers soon, so maybe he just replaces whatever pitcher the Cardinals send down. Yeah, the Cardinals have been going going uh, thirteen and thirteen. Oh, so they so haven't. They're, yeah. they're they're ready. They're ready for that. They, the Cardinals have had so much trouble with their rotation and, and all. You know, you'd think they would have carried more pitchers, but uh, the reality is they're carrying Albert Pujols, 
who really should not play against anybody but left-handed pitching. He should not play against right-handed pitching. And then they had Dickerson as well. So their bench is kind of limited in what flexibility they had. Then they have Edmundo Sosa, who has no minor league options. He's the backup middle infielder. So, you know, they don't, they didn't really have a lot of, a lot of flexibility um, with their roster. Yeah. But Pujols can pitch too, right? Yeah. You know, only in, only in St. Louis, do fans think, think it's not an embarrassment for position players to be on the mound. For me, it's, you know, it's like you're waving the white flag, uh, but Pujols and Molina both think it's a lot of fun. I think Molina's had two shots on the mound. Now Pujols only had one. So I'm sure he's bugging the manager for another chance to go out there. It's a, I mean, it's a story for another day. It, to me, it's a complete joke and an embarrassment and a farce. And we're talking a little bit on Twitter. I just, it, it, it just drives me crazy. So, but anyway. Well, you know, I mean, let's face it. Money makes the world go round. And this is all yeah. about roster sizes could and should be bigger. And they're yeah. not because it costs money to, for players to be on major league rosters. But yet teams who manipulate the number of moves of players up and down are being shackled by only five options per year. And at some point, you know, something's going to give, you know, teams are going to get to September and they're going to be out of eligible guys to call up. And, you know, it's just, and important games are going to get impacted by these artificial rules that have been put in place to, uh, to do whatever, I, I guess, say, to save money. Right. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, you force a pitcher to go three batters. On the other hand, you know, there's, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a story for another day. It's just, it's a, watching the games as I do, as I'm sure you do, it's, all right. Yeah. I giggled. I, it was fun to see pool holes, but watching guys throw 45 mile an hour lollipops, it's, it's just not fun. It's, it's a farce. And uh, I, I don't, I, I don't like, I don't like the ghost runner and I don't like the, uh, the 45 mile an hour lollipops, but uh, and then, you know, the other thing that, that bothers me, Todd, and this was a decision that was made again to save money. And it was made at the same time as they increased rosters from 25 to 26. So when they increased rosters from 25 to 26, that means hey, our payroll costs went up. And a lot of times right. that, you know, that last player is an older player who maybe make a little more money. So at the same time, what they did was they said, okay, instead of, of up to 15 guys being added in September, meaning from the 25-man roster to the total 40-man roster, all those guys conceivably would be eligible to be called up in September. They said, okay, we're going to stop that. We're only going to allow you to add three guys. And, gee, we save a lot of money because you only can bring three guys up in September instead of 10. And, gee, all those extra guys didn't do anything, and it led to lots of pitching changes and blah, 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 blah. Well, that's all BS. It was about saving money. But that's that's anti-prospect. That's really bad for prospects because lots right. of guys got their first major league chance as September call-ups. And, you know, got it. Yeah, maybe the games don't mean as much, but but, they, but for some teams they do. And that was a, just a, a, a unfortunate decision in terms of prospect support, in my opinion. No, I agree. I wasn't as, as into the depth of it as you are understanding the finances and the repercussions. But for sure, the, yeah, the, as far as I mentioned, the three pitch rule, that was more to save time of game than it was anything else. But uh, that that's all rolled into it. So you mentioned the well. Hey, wait, before you before you move okay. on though, I yeah. want to talk about time of game. I mean, that's something that we've seen uh, in the X in the AFL. AFL. Yeah. It started there, and now you know it's being implemented more in the minor leagues. I'm curious your opinion about it. What I've seen is that the the pitch clock people get used to it, and it doesn't seem to be a big issue at all. And it does save time in games. I think it's something that should probably be implemented in the majors. What do you think? I do. I think they have to. I don't know if they're at the right time though i think they have to find the right the right time um i think they will and i think that's probably i've, I've seen it in triple a last year and i saw two 
this is, I mean, it's, it's kind of a silly story, but they play the Neil Diamond song in Worcester and, you know, da, 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 ba, ba, ba. and they stop it and the crowds keep singing it. And twice and two, it wasn't the same team, you know, a couple of different weeks later, um, the pitcher waited at the back of the mound for the crowd to stop. The clock expired and he got charged the ball. <laughs> and, you know, you know, and while the you know because he's waiting for the crowd, you know, to stop singing. So it was, you know, so I, I think you have to, you know, these are you know minor league umpires, you know, that are getting graded, so they have to kind of you know go by the letter of the law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it was just kind of you know, this, you know, it was like you know, the second time it happened is like last time I was here, and sure enough, as I'm saying it, ball one. It was it was it was, it was, it was wild. But anyway, no, I I think there needs to be clock. We started the NFL kind of question exactly how diligent some of the timekeepers were, you know, but exactly when do you turn it off when, the, but, but it's, I think it's needed. Yeah. I mean, uh, people get, people seem to get used to it. I mean, there's not a yeah. lot of guys during the game looking up at the clock. You kind of get used to the rhythm and you pitchers know they have to work quickly. Guys can't, you know, step out of the box and adjust their batting gloves every pitch. Right. And, you know, and all the irritating things that we, that slow the game down. Yeah, no. And I, I, I think they will come up with a, the right time with burner on base with runners, not on base. I don't like the limiting throws over. I think some of those gimmicks aren't really necessary. I don't mind the bases being just a little bit bigger. Um, I don't know that we've seen any repercussions of that yet. No, but no. the, uh, have you caught any games uh, when you, in your minor league travels where they're, where they've legislating the shift? Cause that's the big one for me. No, I, I haven't. I've seen, I've seen some automated balls and strikes games. Right. Right. And, uh, um, and I, those, I, you know, I've watched, I've sat, actually sat right behind home plate and, uh, in spring training, they were doing it at Roger Dean and a couple of major league officials were right there. And between every inning, they're consulting with the umpires, you know, talking, trying to fine tune it. Uh, so the automated balls and strikes, I think has real merit as well. Uh, for those who say it's going to take the umpires out of the game, that's not true. The umpires will have a lesser role, but a lot of folks think that's a good idea. Uh, myself included. Yeah. Uh, so that's the that's the impact that I've seen more of the automated balls and strikes, which I I think is is going to come and it, and it should. My concern there was with you know, like in softball when you back shoulder the pitch and it's you know it's not hittable because but it's a strike for like a millisecond. Um, you know if the ball outside of the ball just clips the outside of the plate, but from what I've heard is it's not there's going to be is it half the ball a third of the ball? It's it can't be just that the tip of the ball clips the tip of the plate. There's going to be some. It's more of the ball has to cross the plate, so that kind of assuages my fears about the, you know, the old wiffle ball type strikeouts. Where well, and again, yeah. again, I'm I'm sure that if this knob can be adjusted a little bit this way or that yeah. knob adjusted that way, right, you should be able to tune in on on where it should be. And I, yeah, I, you know, the, some of the human element of the game, of course, is good, but you know, when you see calls that vary so widely between umpire and umpire, game to game, it's just not the way the game should be played, in my opinion. I was listening, I think, MLB Network Radio, either it's it was suggested or it's happening somewhere in that the umpire calls the game, but the other team gets X amount of challenges. Yeah. There's a, there's a robot umpire, and the mm -hmm. X, you know, can cha X amount of challenges where it, it defers, you know, I don't know. If, now we're getting a little too, I mean, either have it or don't, but yeah. uh, I guess, I don't know. I mean, um, the problem that probably I, I'm just guessing that probably happened as a way to try to convince some people who are skeptical to go along with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, throw you, we'll throw you a bone, a couple of try, a couple of challenges. 
Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm not a basketball fan. I was taken aback by uh, happened to catch some of the other game the other night just because for, for the for the show for my Rotowire show is uh, is one of the basketball. Boston teams in the finals or something. I, I hear. I'm, I'm I'm not. I have not followed the game since the 2000s, so I'm not going to pretend that I'm rooting to game six. I mean, I know it's game six. I'm not, you know, if they lose, you know, if they win, eh, and that, that's it. I mean, I'm not going to feign being a, a fan. I, I was a huge fan through like 2000, 2001. Um, but um, point, I, there was a, there was a challenge and in, 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 the challenge in basketball now, actually, I just kind of just had to shake my head. But, well, they um, never played any rec games because if they played rec games, they know every play is a challenge. Oh, oh yeah! Oh yeah! But shut up. Well, you're talking about your your brother being taller than you. You, I yeah. mean, you're you're a tall guy. Yeah, so well, you, wow, he's, your brother's he's even like, tall. I mean, he's like six five and a half, six six. So. I mean, I I could box out when we used to, when I back when I could actually do things like run a little bit. But the worst thing I could do is make a shot because then people think I could shoot, which I can't. Mm-hmm. So it's like I didn't, you know, shoot. I'm you're wide open. If, you, if I almost wanted to miss. Because if I made it, they'll think, you know, that dumb guy can keep shooting. But anyway, um, talk about the Cardinals pitching. There's two guys that we can kind of kind of home in on a little bit. Where'd you go? Brian, you're gone. We'll see if uh, maybe we can get Brian back. Technical difficulties. Apologize for this. There we go. Just just in time that I don't have to splice it. Cool. All right, so I'm uh, going to ask you about two pitchers in the uh, Cardinals organization, well, on the team, one one old and one new. Uh, yeah. Jack Flaherty made his debut. I didn't. I, I, I did not watch any of Flaherty's start. I would I want to go back uh, and, and try to catch some out of curiosity. And then uh, Matthew Libertor, who went uh, started the other day. So start yeah. wherever you want. What did you see out of Flaherty and, and is Libertor? up to stay. Flaherty was supposed to pitch uh, Wednesday night in triple A for his third tune-up. He was up to 60 pitches. He had shoulder problems um, in, in spring and, and you know, it was, he was just making his debut. Um, and I don't know if a lot of folks know, but major league players are not required to go on minor league rehab stints. If they don't want to, they can say they can demand to be activated when they're healthy, can demand to be activated at the major league level if they want. So Flaherty decided, hey, I want to help St. Louis now. So they said, okay, Jack, come on up. And he, I, I watched him on the post game, you know, last night talk about it. He said he was amped up too much. He was trying to throw the ball through Yadier Molina. Uh, and, you know, he's a veteran guy, but yet, you know, he hadn't pitched in a long time. He's had a couple of years that were down from, from the standards that he set before. And I think he, you know, he couldn't dial it back enough that he had some problems with walks and some balls that were hit. And he didn't. He was not satisfied with his outing, obviously. Um, and the, the Cardinals went on to lose the game, uh, although that was you know bullpen problems as much as it was his. But Flaherty's a guy that you know the Cardinals really, really need because you can't. I mean, you can't count on forty-year-old Adam Wainwright to lead your rotation forever. Miles Michaelis did a great job. Folks probably saw he just missed a, a no-hitter the other night. But then the back-end guys, Hudson and Mats, are you know they're they're back-end guys generally speaking. Matthew Libertor. Um, his backstory is interesting in that he was a first rounder at Tampa Bay and he was the guy that the Cardinals got when they traded Randy Rosarena. And uh, when Rosarena, of course, went to Tampa Bay, he was a postseason sensation, you know, really, really played exceptionally well, hasn't been as good since. But the Cardinals front office got raked over the coals uh, over that trade. 
but Matthew Libertores, he spent an entire year at AAA last year, had made the jump all the way from, from uh, low class A. So, you know, the year that uh, 2020, when the minor leaster didn't play, he basically skipped over high A and double A, and he took his lumps last year at AAA early on. But um, uh, he pitched the first game of the doubleheader the other day. I think he allowed just uh, one or two runs in five innings. No, shut out. I think he should do a shutout for five innings, come to think of it. Um, and Libertor is a guy who's going to be in the rotation for a long time. He's probably not going to be a frontliner, but he's a guy who definitely has, uh, you know, uh, a major league career in front of him. Yeah, I'm not selfishly asking because I have him in the XFL or anything. Um, but, you know, hey. Uh, hey. Or, or or maybe I am. I don't know. Um, you know, it's funny. You know, we got to talk about that. I, I, I haven't looked at your roster to see how many Red Sox guys are on there, but you know, some, some guys play fantasy or gals play fantasy and they like to load them up, you know, with their home team guys. I just went to look at my XFL roster cause I couldn't remember. Uh, but I, I have two Cardinals on my 40 man roster and, or is it 35? 40. It's 40. 40. Yeah. Two, I have two Cardinals on my 40 man roster. One of them is Nolan Gorman who I got in trade because uh, one year, Doug Dennis from Baseball HQ wanted Matthew Boyd. He was really excited about Matthew Boyd, and he gave me Nolan Gorman. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll take that trade. And then the other one uh, that I drafted this year with the first overall pick uh, is uh, Jordan Walker, who we haven't talked about, but is a uh, tremendous, tremendous talent. Just turned 20 years old, is at double A already, uh, less than two years after being drafted. Nice. Uh, hits for power, can run. The only question is where his home is going to be defensively. Probably he'll be a first baseman or maybe a corner outfielder rather than a third baseman. But uh, Jordan Walker, if you know, in a in a dynasty league, is a guy that you want to have because I think he's you know he's going to, he looks like he's going to be an impact player in the major leagues. Yeah, you're saying that that wasn't a, a homer pick, regardless of who had the first pick in this particular draft. He was in play, right? Well, I mean, he was. I mean, he's now. If you look at Baseball America, I think Jordan Walker's around tenth. You know overall of national prospects and this particular league we're talking about there are guys who are taken who are you know yeah. college players so there aren't you know there aren't very many players in the top 10 of the national prospect rankings who are available to draft any given year they were taken two years ago yeah i i've got several red Sox on my team um i drafted jd martinez in a, in our in our auction but i i had tanner hauk Jaron Duran and Jeter Downs all drafted as minor leaguers. Hmm. I don't feel that I, I jumped them. I just think that, and I think we've talked about this. It's, it was more of an awareness situation hmm. than it was a, you know, uh, I need to get a Red Sox guy on my roster. Now, having said that, I don't think you were, I don't think you were, you, you weren't with us in the latest when we just drafted a couple weeks ago in, in the zoom, I was contemplating a second pick. And Jeter Downs would have been my drop. And he, I should have dropped Jeter Downs, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't. I should, you know, I, I I should no longer be occupying a roster spot with, with Jeter Downs. He's, but I'm, ah, what if he comes back? Eh, eh, eh. I this isn't to say I'll drop him next time because now I can drop Dalton Jeffries. But uh, but yeah. Well, so I kept I, I kept JJ Blade for that same reason because he had a great Arizona Fall League last yeah. year. Yeah, and then he came to this year and went back to being. It came to Camp Fisher and went back to being the same terrible hitter he was last year. So, you know, I let him go. But, you know, the homer picks, I think uh, you and I know, I don't know if the listeners know, but in this also particularly the XFL Experts Fantasy League, our friend Lar Michaels, who we talked about, there's an award that was created uh, based on him and his love of particular players who happen to play in the Bay Area. 
It's called the Kendall Graveman Award, uh, which is given to the most blatant homer pick in the league in any given year. And I will say I've not won that yet, but Lar would have probably won his own award every year if he could have competed. Yeah, no, I've been nominated, but I don't think I've taken it home yet. We, mm-hmm. For for like I said, Hauk and and Duran, et, et cetera. But um, we'll talk a little bit. You know, we've got uh, a few minutes. Talk a little bit about. We don't have to talk about the XFL in particular, though we can. But you know, dynasty keeper dynasty leagues. This is around the time where, well, actually, trades have been made already. But traditionally, this is around the time people start to make that decision: Am I going for it, or do I rebuild a year? Now, the XFL. I'm not sure how you approach it, but it's kind of to me. It's in between a keeper and a dynasty. If we define a dynasty as keep everybody ad nauseum, in a keeper, there's a lot of turnover. It's kind of in between. It, it is, it is, but you know, I mean, the, the the fact is, you know, what you're trying to do is balance. I mean, in the big picture, you're trying to balance a long term view. How many prospects can I keep? How can I stash? Uh, you know, how good of prospects are there, and still compete this year? So, you know, uh, you can often tell the strategies by the number of prospects that a, an owner keeps versus the number of of you know contributing major leaguers. And I came into the year with half a dozen prospects, and you know, I've been able to play, but there have also been times where I've got, for example, right now I've got a catcher on the IL and I have to play two or you know, two and a half or three more weeks uh, with a catcher on the IL because I don't have another uh, catcher on the bench who's also not on the IL. So, you know, that's the trade-off you make if you're, you know, buying for the, you know, playing for the future and you get a key injury, you may not have anybody to bring up to replace them. Yeah, too bad we can't tra- trade between Tout and XFL because I'll have a, th- I'm going to have a third catcher in Tout Wars, which I'll, which I may try to pawn off over the weekend, but um, right. So I'm in a position in this league where I didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect to flounder, but I didn't think I could be, be competing either. But you know, the, the the fact that the right now the leading point total is 115, and this is a league where the winner usually has 125 to 30. It just there's a lot of teams that are you know air quote in the running this year. Yeah. So it, it's yeah, it's kind of going to be an interesting year to see which of us want to go with it and make a few more moves to try to compete and which of us uh you know what I'm, i've been i've kind of had a good half season but it's gonna it's not gonna last so i'm curious but that, that that kind of decision so what how do you make that decision and whichever side you're on how do you then go about approaching the rest of the league about a, a possible trade well, in this particular league, players who are drafted as farm players, their salary only escalates at $3 per year versus other everybody else, their player their value is escalated $5 per year. So, there's a double value sort of for prospects for getting players while they're still in the minor leagues. And that that plus 3 as we call it status is transferable in trades. So, what I do is sit down and says, "Okay, can I win this year?" No, I can't. The question is, okay, how many plus three guys do I have that I want to keep next year? And what does my core look like for next year? And are there some open spots where I could make trades and trade off a Kyle Schwarber, say, who's 25 bucks, who I'm not going to keep next year, or a Dansby Swanson, or a Jack Flaherty if he comes back healthier? You know, somebody like that, that I could trade for either a draft pick or a prospect. And the other thing in this league, because the, the, um, the rosters are restricted in terms of keepers. You have to decide, do I want to take on more prospects or the value of the first round, the first, the draft picks next year 
um, are very, very, very much higher because that way you can trade for a future draft pick and not tie up a roster spot. So one of the things I often hold out for when I'm trying to trade this time of year is to try to get a first round or second round or a third rounder from a team next year in return for a prospect or for a player, excuse me, an established major leaguer who can help them this year. Yeah, I read into that where I you know, my, some of my farm players started their clock and Gavin Lux a couple of years ago that I know I, I normally wouldn't keep them, but I, I want to keep them just because I want to keep that low contract. So it kind of handcuffed me the number of keepers I could have. Um, and it, 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 it is, this was kind of a bunch of like sort of in between rules. I think we're, we're a little lucky in this league. I mean, there's some, there's some, you know, more difficult to trade with than others, but I think in general, this, this, we don't, we don't have the issues that you hear about is, you know, far as I need a fab sweetener or, um, you know, it has to be such a lopsided trade. So I think, I think that's a, I think trading in this league is maybe a little bit easier, or maybe I'm just dealing with different people and I haven't found the, the, uh, the hard, the hard people yet, but I think at least, at least I found anyway, that uh, it's mostly congenial. I have trouble saying no, I have trouble in trades, but I'm more comfortable in this league than I am in some others anyway. Is that kind of is that how you feel or? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, we know, I mean, when you're in a long-standing league, you kind of understand which guys are more open to discuss trades and which guys, you know, want to do it via email versus phone and which guys want, you know, yeah. want, want this, that. But you made an interesting point that I want to come back to, and that is you have to be careful, though. I find I find that I also sometimes assume that a guy, because a guy's a plus three player, I should keep him. But there are times when even a, a player that you've bought down the minor league, they're starting to outstrip their value, or you may be able to buy him back for a year or two cheaper anyway. Like for example, I've got Austin Meadows now, and he's already up to 13 bucks. He'll be 16 next year. You know, I'm going to look very carefully at whether I want to keep Austin Meadows for another year. I know I Miguel Sano was the guy that I kind of learned my lesson the hard way on that. I had, you know, was really proud I had Miguel Sano, who I think I acquired from our late friend Lar Michaels, by the way. But you know, I kept I kept Sano at least a year, maybe two years too long because he had this wonderful contract. Well, the fact is, he you know he played inconsistently. He got hurt. He, he really didn't help my team. He hurt me, even though he had that wonderful cheap contract. Yeah, I'll have to make that decision with Duran Duran. Probably, uh, his his contract has started next year. Will be seven units to keep him. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. But then ten thirteen. So that's the allure. But if he's just a quad A player, you know, it, it's not worth keeping. So, yeah, that's one well, of the and, and again, you, you realize if you really want him back, chances are you can buy him back in the draft for a comparable price. Yeah, he's not a plus three guy anymore, but maybe that's not a big deal. Right. So, yeah, these are some of the some of the interesting decisions that we that we're all going to have to make. But um, by, by the way, by the way, uh, a month ago, do you recall who I picked with our first uh, pick? And you you raised a question as to maybe me knowing something. I don't recall, but my memory's not good for these sorts of things. That's why they invented uh, the was, internet. Was Ryan Helsley. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I had you know I just had the feeling that uh, that he was going to get a chance to to close games for St. Louis, so I picked him up. He's a you know is a, a dollar guy, and uh, he's you know he's doing a really good job for him. Yeah, I mean, actually, we can we can we can touch on the closing scenario because they you know they're a team that's the Cardinals. They kind of done what they said they were going to do. That Gallegos wasn't going to be the you know the 1a that he was going to close a lot of the time but there will be scenarios where he doesn't and they they've kind of stuck to that or am i misreading this no misreading they, they, they have 
and Helsley, Helsley, they, they're, you know, for whatever reason, he's had some health problems or something in the past and they're being more careful about how they use him. But I mean, Helsley has a better stuff. He has a better offerings. Um, he doesn't work so damn slow. Uh, but, it, but, you know, they're, they're still probably going to share saves uh, for a while, but I, but I think Helsley's a guy in a dynasty league that you want to keep. Yeah, I would think. Um, where J- Jordan Hicksy? Have you spoke anybody where he is? What, where, what we can expect? If Jordan slash Hicks, when he comes back? Yeah, Jordan Hicks threw a bullpen yesterday in St. Louis and said that all of his pitches were working and he could have contributed in the in the big league game that night. The challenge with Jordan Hicks, of course, is we know he can throw 103. Uh, the question is, you know, can he mix up enough offerings to be successful as a starting pitcher in the major leagues? Because that's what he wants. Jordan Hicks wants to be a starter. The problem, the Cardinals plucked him from high A to the major leagues. High A one year, major leagues the next spring because of his velocity. And that got everybody excited. But Jordan Hicks didn't have the time to develop his other pitches. Yeah, great. He was getting guys out in the Florida State League. Well, that's a little bit different than, you know, against the Miami Marlins or the, you know, or the New York Mets. So, and then Hicks got a chance to start this year. He really wasn't very consistent, wasn't very good. And now you know, the Cardinals have other options and they want him back. And the way to get him back more quickly, because he's been sitting out, is to put him in the bullpen. And that will help the St. Louis bullpen, even if he's not closing. Uh, that, and I think that's what will happen with Jordan Hicks. If he wants to start it, he may have to wait and try again next spring. And, it, you know, in a way, it kind of reminds me of the Alex Reyes story, who has probably now become a footnote. He had to have a shoulder surgery earlier this year. And you, know, you just don't know whether he's we're ever going to see him again. Yeah, well, we'll finish on kind of an up note. Um, you mentioned Miles Michaelis, near no-hitter the other night. I kind of had a bit of an epiphany, or not an epiphany, but a change of heart last night. I wrote about it in Rotowire today. When I hear about no-hitters, I'm just nose in the spreadsheet. Ah, they're all luck. Who cares? Miles Michaelis, ah, it's just good defense. But I'll tell you, last night during Tyler Anderson's near no-no, I was rooting for him. I'm like, wow, yeah. this, is, this is different. I This is fun. I mean, yeah. I think I need to, all right, you know, yes, no hitters have luck. Who cares? I think I need to say, who cares? They're fun. You know, they're good for the game. So, yeah. I mean, you know, what were you, I mean, how were you on your edge of your seat with Miles Michaelis? Well, you know, I mean. Hey, it was exciting. The only no hitter I've ever seen in person was the non no hitter that Santana threw uh, against oh, okay. the uh, Cardinals at, at, oh. at Shea back in whatever yeah. year it was, 20, 2010 or 2014, whatever it was. But uh, but obviously that game I wasn't at in person either. I was watching Michaelis on TV. But no, I think it's exciting. And, and you know, any anytime anybody's on Twitter or on social media, and word gets out there's a no hitter in progress, I in the late innings, I'll switch up whatever I'm watching and, and go over and watch it because you know it does take quite an accomplishment to uh, to get those 27 outs without allowing a hit. And uh, uh, so yeah, I think it, I think it's fun. And anybody who's a fan of the game, you know, would would want to see a no hitter. Would want to be in a no hitter. I would think. The only time, the only, I mean, it's kind of a dumb story, but I used to do QA for MLB.com for their social media. And whenever someone threw a no-hitter, we'd have to work extra to get all the highlights out. So the only, there were like four people in the country that were rooting against no-hitters. And those were the four <laughs> of us that were that were on the clock that night, especially if it was a late game. Well, it's, that- it's, more than, it's more than just you guys, too. It's the beat writers. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. It's it's fun to sit in a press box and watch what happens when a game turns in the late innings or uh-huh. in extra innings, and you see all the guys going, "Oh my God, I got to rewrite my whole story. I got to start all." You know, it's a there's a lot of people behind the scenes who are who are rooting for 
quick games with decisive outcomes. At least now you can put them on your computer and store it up to the last paragraph and then change it as opposed to before we had to type it out. On the other hand, right now they're going out real time. Before it went to the newspaper, it's a completely, completely different story. So uh, I'd like to thank you, Brian, for some time. Any any players, anything else you want to you want to mention before we let you go? Um, give another another plug to your website. Well, certainly uh, the CardinalNation.com. If you're interested in the the minor league system, we do have major league content as well. But yeah, you know, we we really uh, we're really the the experts on uh, the St. Louis Cardinals system. And uh, in terms of guys to watch, there's a catcher at AAA named Ivan Herrera He's from Venezuela. He's only 21 years old, hitting 300 right now at AAA OPS in the the upper 700s, low 800s, and what we're seeing in St. Louis, this is Molina's last year. He's not playing regularly. When he does play, he's not performing at past levels. Andrew Kisner was sort of the next guy up, and he's showing that he's not handling it offensively. And Yvonne Herrera is a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if we saw in the major leagues in the second half of this season. And he's a good shot to become uh, the, the next St. Louis Cardinals catcher starting in 2023. There, I'm glad, glad I asked you, my friend, because that's, that's, a, that's a good note. Uh, now I'm going to put a dollar bid on him in Tout Wars this weekend and stash him, but no, nah, no, nah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, well, I'd like to thank you again, Brian. Uh, I'd like to thank Jeff and the crew for letting me step in and Jeff will be back with you next week. Check out his Twitter feed for all these. I don't know when Jeff became such a great photographer, although I think it, it's more about the scenery than the photographer in his case. Yeah, yeah. And he happened to catch a bunch of nice weather out there in Ireland. So, uh, you know, some back- people buy some people buy the cameras that, you know, edit out the background. Yeah, in Jeff's case, I want to get the camera that edits out the guy in front and just look at the yeah. Scene. There we go, exactly. But uh, Jeff will be back with us, and uh, I'm sure Brian will be talking soon. Hopefully, it won't be to figure out what's what we need to do in the league when someone's not making moves or or something of that nature. And hey, have a enjoy the weekend, Father's Day, with your uh, with your your uh, your your lad on Sunday, and enjoy the game, however it turns out. Yeah, look look for me in Fenway Park. <laughs> I'll be the guy wearing red. Oh, okay, yeah, that, that'll be that'll be easy enough. As opposed to the yellow, the the yellow uniforms that they're uh, that, that that are dotting the the park now. Excellent. Uh, thanks right. everybody for checking us out. And Clay and I will be back tomorrow with the two start uh, the two start pod. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.